Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So, on Monday, Kevin saved Whitney, and today, Clint saves the prez as he's on the trail of a fame-hungry assassin, John Malkovich, and his wig collection from 1993 were in the line of fire. Three shots have been fired at President John Kennedy's motorcade. It was his job to safeguard the destiny of a nation. But at the critical moment, he was a split second too late. Now, after a lifetime of second thoughts and second guesses, Secret Service agent Frank Horrigan is about to get a second chance. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. I know about pigeons. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And I'm Chris Tilly. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a borderline burnout with questionable social skills. (laughs) Oh, how are you both? Good? Yeah. All right, good. Chris is still back, which is great. Yeah. I was wondering whether after Monday you might go, do you know what? 
Fuck it. Fuck this shit. <laughs> I wasn't going to miss in the line of fire. Know. You know, I'm 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 a fan of this one. I know you are. You're very excited by this movie. Well, I was a fan. We'll 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 see if I still am. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <clears throat> uh, very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, if you'd be kind enough to do that on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods, it would be massively appreciated by the three of us. And if you're able to give us a little rating and review, we'd be very grateful. And if you do give us a review, it might be read out on the show by the wonderful Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. This is such a comfort show for me. I absolutely love the dynamic between Alex, Chris, and Vicky, and I really look forward to each episode. Non-pretentious, funny, and really insightful. I've even listened to some episodes twice. Oh. I'm all in for every episode in the future. Five stars from Gabriella Francis. Oh, so, yeah, nice. it's just a nice one. That's really nice. nice. That's nice. Really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel better. Nice. Gabriella, it's yeah. lovely. Thank you, Gabriella. And she listened to some shows twice. Yes, me. You haven't even listened to some shows once. I haven't. <laughs> you're busy. You feel, you're, busy. you're busy. We all know I'm busy. We all know you're busy. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have some news for you about tonight. What are you doing? What are you doing tonight if you are listening to this on the morning of Thursday, the 11th of November, as you should be? Uh, we are doing our First ever live show in a bar this evening, this very evening at the Loading Bar in Stoke Newington, London. And we'd love you to be there. I'm going to take a gamble and say there are tickets still available. <laughs> Who, knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? If there are tickets still available, though, come along. We are doing Coyote Ugly versus Cocktail. That's right, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. And if you've seen both films, you might have a chance, if I can sort this out, of winning a couple of prizes at some point in the night. <gasps> Oh, but you do need to have seen both films. Yeah, there you go. Prizes. There's prizes as well this evening, along with themed cocktails. Fancy dresses, optional. I'll be dressing up. Chris is dressing up. Vicky? I'm dressing up. Yes. Dressing up isn't optional anymore. <laughs> Dress up. Uh, come along. You can find all the details at eventbrite.co.uk. Eventbrite.co.uk by searching Clash of the Titles. If you're free tonight, come on down. It's going to be a lot of fun, he says. Hopefully. Right then, these choices this week, The Bodyguard versus In the Line of Fire. Reminders why? Because I wanted to do The Bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mind In the Line of Fire. I mean, th- to be honest, that's how it happens a lot of weeks. Yeah, yeah. We really want to do one film. It's just figuring out what to pair it with. If I can be honest, that section I'm not a big fan of, the, the why did you pick this section? Because right. <laughs> that's the answer. I wanted to. Okay. Apart from Halloween and it's like, you know. Sure. So you, you want to drop that section? Uh, it's up to you. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, if you do want to drop it, that's going to reinforce me asking it and asking <laughs> even more detailed questions yeah. about it. Yeah. Great. So, Because um, you know how what happens when you, you tell Alex to do something. <laughs> you ain't going to do it. <laughs> oh, right. He's a rebel. <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, right, let's get into this. So on Monday, it was a match made in heaven as Chris Tilly talked about Whitney Houston. And today, it's a match made possible by the rules of Hollywood romance as Rene Russo decides to date one of her granddad's mates. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take you on a journey. Clint Eastwood is Frank Corrigan, a Secret Service agent who's too old for this shit and is over the hill, except he's not, because he's Clint frickin' Eastwood. He's got a partner, Dylan McDermott, who of all the characters ever destined to die in movies, none have ever had dead meat tattooed so firmly on their forehead. Literally, first line, my wife's just had a baby, I'm scared, I want to retire. But while we wait for that eventuality, there's John Malkovich's wet boy 
to catch. <laughs> yes, Malkovich is a wet boy, a wily foe who can disguise himself as various versions of John Malkovich, <laughs> all the while looking exactly like John Malkovich. At one point, he even wears a prosthetic nose identical to his own nose. Will Clint catch this chameleon and redeem himself for literally letting JFK die because he got pissed the night before? Will his use of every woman's snaring technique in the game work on Rene Russo? <laughs> Is suggesting that she hides a firearm inside herself a good chat-up line? The answer to all of the above is yes, because he's Clint frickin' Eastwood. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, in the line of fire. So, yes, that, that description definitely reinforces my doubts over whether I like this film as much as I did in 1993. <laughs> oh, so let's do history of this movie. I'll start. When I was a teenager, uh, like maybe 14 or 15, I watched this movie on video and I remember thinking at the time, I freaking love this movie. And also, I love this movie because it's making me feel like a grown-up. It's one of those movies where it's a thriller that, as a teenager, I was like, this is smart. This is adult thriller. This is sophisticated storytelling. I am now an adult enjoying, not an adult movie, but a movie made for adults. I felt like I was a grown-up watching this movie, and then I watched it this time, and I went, this is a stupid movie. <laughs> this is a really stupid, stupid movie. But that doesn't mean I didn't still enjoy it. It's just not as clever as I remember it as a kid. Chris. Well, I can remember the teaser trailer for this and getting excited over the teaser trailer. Um, and shall I play it for you or shall I just post it on Twitter and describe it? Play it. I want to hear it. Okay. So it's a teaser. So I'll, I'll talk over it a little bit so, because it's not very visual. I think this got taken out of circulation as well okay. because of something controversial. Three shots have been fired at President John Kennedy. We've got November 22nd, 1963 on screen. his job but to safeguard the destiny of a nation. That's all that's on screen. But at the critical moment, he was a split second too late. Now, after a lifetime of second thoughts and second guesses, Secret Service agent Frank Horrigan is about to get a second chance. 1963, the six is starting to turn and turn into a nine. Oh, I remember that. Frank Horrigan. Yeah. I've read about your seen photos. You were JFK's favorite. Dallas. It's a bit tasteless, what really. What happened to you that day? And this time, you'll be ready. I see you, Frank. I see you standing over the grave of another dead president. It's become a nine, and now we cut to Eastwood. He slammed down the phone. He picks up a gun. He looks into the camera, breaking the fourth wall. This isn't in the movie. That's not going to happen. Clint Eastwood. He says that to us. I mean, in obviously. the line of fire. That convinced me. <laughs> that is such a great teaser trailer. And I think because it's somewhat tasteless, uh, turning the six into a nine and just making it all about JFK, I don't think it played for that long in cinemas, but I certainly saw it. Uh, and then I ended up going to see it with my mum, dad and my brother. And it's one of those films that all four of us loved when mm. we came out of it. It was it worked for each one of us. Yeah, it has got universal appeal as a movie. Does it, Vicky? <laughs> Mm. I watched it in that student house that we lived in in New Cross. Yeah, no, in East London. Do you remember? Oh God, Manor 
house Manor Park Manor Park yeah so I was we were going through a bit you might remember like a bit of a Rene Russo phase mm. uh, Ransom Thomas Crown Affair oh. stick them on yeah. <laughs> so I but I only saw it once and so watching it again it's weird I didn't really remember much of Clint Eastwood until this time I remember loving Rene Russo in it I remember laughing my head off at what you've just said about John Malkovich like he could go anywhere he could be anyone <laughs> it's like he could just be John Malkovich <laughs> <laughs> they, they even have a scene where they computer. I think yeah. they thought it was really flash at the yeah, time. The where thing. they put loads of different hairstyles and glasses on him. Yeah. And you go, John Malkovich, John Malkovich, John Malkovich, John Malkovich, John Malkovich. He'll blend in. He could be anywhere by now. <laughs> so yeah, I've seen it once before in the week. Uh, well, let me tell you a little bit about this movie. It's not actually that much for In the Line of Fire. Um, in the eighties, uh, produced by the name of Jeff. Apple is mulling over an idea for a movie about a Secret Service agent. He'd had this idea since he was a boy, and he saw Lyndon B. Johnson in person, who was the vice president at that point, surrounded by Secret Service agents with earpieces and dark suits and sunglasses. And so he mulls over this idea and eventually hires a writer called Jeff McGuire to make his dream a reality. This is the most interesting part of the film's history. This writer, Jeff McGuire, his story. So his only previous film of note was receiving a story credit on a movie you covered without me called Escape to Victory. Ah. I missed Football Week, but you did do that movie, right? We did. did. And that is a football movie, right? It is. Particularly strange one. Right. So uh, he did a story credit on that. So Jeff Apple approaches him to write a script for this idea, which would become in the line of fire. At this point... Jeff Maguire is in debt to relatives and is about to have his utilities turned off. So he writes the script, which is initially turned down by a lot of people, although Dustin Hoffman is briefly interested in the role of Frank Horrigan, and Maguire actually credits Hoffman with introducing this key idea of Frank being racked with guilt over his failure to save JFK. So that was Dustin Hoffman's idea. Then... <laughs> Lightning strikes and the script gets noticed by not one, but three heavyweights and becomes part of a bidding war by parties representing Sean Connery, Tom Cruise and Clint Eastwood. Not a lot on Sean Connery. Tom Cruise's people offer 100k, but demanded the JFK bit be removed, obviously, because Tom was 28 and therefore not alive when JFK was assassinated. Uh, Maguire, despite being broke, turns down the 100k, which turns out to be a smart move because Clint Eastwood, and this is broke Jeff Maguire, ends up getting $1.4 million for his script. It's amazing. Just breathe that in if you are trying to write a movie script. Doesn't happen anymore. No. But breathe <laughs> that in. Don't dwell on that. Going from broke to a millionaire in one script. And apparently, when Eastwood called him personally to congratulate him on the deal, Maguire's wife had to sell a dress so they could afford to go out for dinner to celebrate. Wow. Mm. That's from the horse's mouth. It's his Late story. Late payment as well. It's just a bit of a problem, isn't it? I thought it was half on signature, Clint. But I mean, my wife just sold her only frock. See you for a burger. Uh, so he's hot shit at this point, Clint Eastwood. He's just off the back of Unforgiven and his two Oscar wings. He brings in Wolfgang Peterson, who is making his third appearance on Clashpod. This would be the start of a really big run for Wolfgang Peterson. In the Line of mm. Fire, followed by these sort of kind of... Again, movies that I watched as a kid went, this is very clever movie making. You watch now and go, what on earth was I thinking? I was 15. Uh, In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, 
Air Force One, uh, the Perfect Storm, and Troy, which then ended in 2006. Wait, the, the run started in 84. With Never, never Ending Story. Story. Yes. Yeah. Of course. What happens to the horse in that? There's a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Arctic survives. <laughs> uh, if you are Vicky's children. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, after Poseidon, uh, Wolfgang Peterson uh, took a hiatus, let's say. Uh, Clint Eastwood's character, Frank Corrigan, uh, Horrigan, is said to have been partly based on Clint Hill, one of JFK's own Secret Service agents who later admitted he felt partly responsible for the president's assassination. Uh, the film's director, Wolfgang Peterson, obviously Chris mentioned the never-ending story, uh, as well as Air Force One and uh, you know all the rest of it I've just said, uh, he wanted Robert De Niro for the role of Mitch Leary, the John Malkovich character. Really? Mm. And Robert De Niro was interested, mm. but he was busy making a Bronx tale, so scheduling was the only thing that prevented him from doing it. I actually could properly see him in that role. Yeah. I, I love Malkovich, but... Then we wouldn't have got a Bronx tale, which I feel like I'm the only person that watched and liked. Not seen it. Really? Directorial no. debut. It's fantastic. Okay. Uh, so um, the real Secret Service gave this movie, and this is the only movie at this point in history, they'd given their blessing to. They loved what Wolfgang Peterson was doing, had some ideas of their own. He said, we weren't indebted to them. We didn't have to use their ideas, but I did put some in because they were actually quite good. And that's about it. Budget of 40 million, made 187 million. So a big hit, but obviously way off the bodyguard's 411 million haul. However, as Chris mentioned it, I wasn't going to, but bodyguard, 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. <clears throat> this movie has a whopping 96%. <laughs> wow. Good reviews. It got good. Re I mean, it got nominated for best screenplay. Mm, it did. Yeah. For uh, good old Jeff Maguire. Probably could buy his wife a new dress. <laughs> Shall we talk about the movie? Yeah, just one thing. Um, you didn't mention why Dustin Hoffman left the project. Do you know why? No, it's I kind of funny. Uh, this is quite a famous story in Hollywood. Uh, when David Putnam took over at Columbia, what often happens is the new studio heads don't like the previous projects. Yeah. One of which was Ishtar. And apparently Putnam was so unhappy with Ishtar which was a film he was about to release that he leaked to the press that there'd been all these issues on set. There was all these issues with the budget and every review referenced this David Putnam leak. Mm. Columbia owned in the line of fire at the time. And Hoffman said, as soon as Putnam did that, there's no way I'm doing this film. And so he walked. And that's why Columbia didn't end up making all the money off the back of in the line of fire. Oh. Yeah. Turned really nasty. Yeah, but all the Mike Nichols. Because apparently Ishtar got great test screenings and uh, great previews. And then off the back of Putnam, it all sort of went downhill. So, yeah, it's interesting. They they missed a trick there. That's interesting. That's all I got. I like that. Hmm? Thanks, Chris. Right then, let's get into this film. We meet Frank on a Secret Service mission with Dylan McDermott, who's already talking about his wife and kids, so he's definitely going to die. They're investigating a counterfeiting ring. Because that's what the Secret Service do? I was confused. By yeah, that. no, I think it is because, yeah, when, when it comes to money, with the president's face and all that stuff, yeah, uh, that, that's, that's something that they are in charge of. Okay, I stand corrected. So Dylan gets a plastic bag over his head and Frank is told to kill him and even pulls the pop trigger. Him. Pop him, pop him, pop him, pop him, <laughs> stop pop him. Say, stop saying pop him. <laughs> jigsaw, stop saying pop him. Bloody yes! jigsaw. Oh, God, that was killing me. I was like... <laughs> Yes, it's Jigsaw. Bloody Jigsaw. I've told you about the time I met Jigsaw. No. I interviewed him for one of the Saw movies. Right. I know, one of the ones, six or seven or something. Tobin Bell. Right. Went down to interview him and I kept asking him questions about Saw. 
And he kept answering questions. He kept talking about Mississippi burning, which he'd been in. He didn't want to talk about Saw, which he was over to promote. So I ended up with a bunch of Mississippi burning quotes. He's not even in it that much. Strange man. Strange man. Pop him. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, so I do like after this scene, it could have been Frank going, I could tell by the weight of the gun. But it's funnier that it's Dylan going, could you tell by the weight of the gun? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, maybe there's one bullet in it. Yep. It's good. So time for some character building for Frank. Uh, he likes whiskey and playing piano on his own. He and also... talking about killing. <laughs> it's like it's Clint Eastwood's wet dream. I can play jazz while talking about shooting people. This <laughs> <laughs> perfect movie. Yeah, and we find out that he knows things about people. Yeah. Oh God, I've I've said that a few times. I think ironically, but I was never sure where it was from, and now I realise I was just quite. I've quite, I've quoted this film a lot in my life. You've actually said, I know, I know things, things about, about people. people and I've known things about pigeons. <laughs> I can't even remember the context, but I remember I was saying that a bit in the late 90s. To, to look woman, cool. Or just no, to I don't anyone. think so. I don't think so. I think okay. I was joking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know this. I know how to do this. Get out of bed. <laughs> uh, and we're into the plot after a nosy landlady discovers John Malkovich's dead president's collage that he's made in his apartment, which involves probably a lot of blue tech. So she'll be livid. Because that wall is going to need repainting. You can't stick that many photos to a wall and not need to repaint it. But being the badass Secret Service agent that Frank is, he fingers a lot of the paperwork, including a model-making magazine, and then opens the blinds, alerting Malkovich's Leary. I know he's called Booth at this point. I'm calling him Leary for the whole thing, so I'm not changing names halfway through. Anyway, Leary realises his collage has been discovered, which is great news for him. Because it means that he's straight on the phone to Frank for the first time and says, I know, I know you were JFK's favourite. I know, I know, I I can't do it. I know you were JFK's favourite agent and were there when he died and that going up against Frank raises the level of the game. Because this is a game they're going to be involved Hmm. in. Cat and mouse. Cat and mouse. Um, you tried to do Malkovich there and you couldn't. Now, can you? It, oh, please tell me. No, you can. God, no, God, no. He, he did. Mm, no. Right. He delivers every line in this film with disdain. Now, is that a character choice or is that John Malkovich? John Malkovich. <laughs> I just wasn't sure. I, I wrote down, oh, he's, he's so good. It's, it's just disdain. Everything he says. And I thought, mm, is that just how he talks? Have you seen Conair? Uh, <laughs> he delivers every line as though he's Cyrus the virus. Yeah. Mm. Does he deliver lines without disdain? No, ever? I can't think of a John Malkovich movie where he isn't disdainful. My favourite thing about him is I think I think it was on Jonathan Ross a long time ago. He was talking about his past jobs, and Jonathan Ross said, "I heard that you used to drive a children's school bus." And he said, yes. And Ross was like, I can't imagine how frightening it would be if you were my bus driver when I was a kid. And it's true. Imagine him greeting you at the door the with fact, disdain. The fact that you're on this bus means the stakes of the game have been raised. Hannibal Lecter, isn't it? Very good. Very good. Anthony Hopkins. Uh, so I love Malkovich and yeah. I absolutely love him in this film. Yes. I love the fact you don't even see his full face for 35 minutes. That it's voice does all the work. It's great fun. It's great fun piecing together what he looks like, what he's up to, sort of we're in the same position as Frank is. It's it's really well done. Mm. Uh, Time to meet our love interest, Rene Russo, Secret Service agent Lily. And Frank, who has clearly just read the game, starts with the negging. Mm. Frank's first words to Lily are, secretaries around here are getting prettier and prettier. 
which he claims is a test to see if she has a sense of humour. Yeah, that's that what fair? they always say. <laughs> is it? Is it you joke? just can't win, can you? Mm. I am not a misogynist. I'm being ironic. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't laugh, you're being a frigid bitch. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've also got a room full of exactly the people you want in a movie involving the fucking White House. Yeah. Gary Cole as Agent Bill Watts. <laughs> I don't have time for this. I've got to pull 75 agents out of Miami. <laughs> Such a fucking great line. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'll be back here for several seasons of Veep. Enjoy me then. <laughs> uh, Fred Dalton Thompson playing the Secretary of State. Exactly the same as his role in Die Hard 2. Yeah. Yep. Then we've got Fraser's dad, John Mahoney. Oh, oh. <laughs> as the Secret Service Director. So happy to see him. Yep. Uh, it's great. It's a great collection of supporting characters who unlike the bodyguard are supporting characters yeah. not given way too much to do and they class up the joint they do yeah they do uh, so frank says he wants to be back on the president's detail uh, which he is and then he sweats a lot running alongside that car to the point that i felt a bit sick and unhealthy watching him yeah because i'd sweat like that as well i've got no athletic ability and i was actually watching this thinking i might have to start working out can i come to the gym with you chris i don't go to the gym anymore why Nature i stopped, is I stopped when you. the pandemic happened and you know you've not been back yet no I, so I, I, who sure. are you having these communal showers with <laughs> in my garden whoever wants to come <laughs> okay okay call, call back to a previous episode <laughs> aren't they all <laughs> isn't that every episode uh, anyways around now we get the big Question asked of Frank. This is a question that exists through the movie. Why didn't he move when the first bullet hit Kennedy? Why did he not dive in the way and protect him from the second? I cannot wait to get to the answer, but for the moment, let's leave that question hanging. Bit more character stuff about Frank. He had a drinking problem. He lost his wife and daughter. We get it. He's a loner. People don't like him. He's lost everything. Shorthand, he's Clint Eastwood in a Clint Eastwood movie. (laughs) But he's still chasing Lily. Uh, They're both on security detail at a dinner, at which point he decides to charm the pants of her. Uh, First line, you look good enough to eat. I'll let that go. (laughs) Even though it looks like literally one of our granddads chatting up our mate. Yeah. We'll let it go. Also, she's in formal wear, so she doesn't look good enough to eat. Yeah, well, he does check out the skin-tight dress she is wearing, and she quite understandably goes, what are you looking at? To which he replies, I'm just wondering. He's looking at her bum. Mm. I'm just wondering where you hide your firearm. Yep. Which is him basically going, you got a gun up your bum. (laughs) In no uncertain terms. Yeah, my, my missus doesn't normally shout at me during movies, but at this point she turned to me and said, He's a fucking harasser. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't even work as a chat line. It's like... It definitely doesn't work as a chat line. No, it's bad. Yeah, it, play, it plays very badly, I think it? to be generous to the script and to the times and all the rest of it, she puts up with it quite admirably. She, mm. she doesn't, you know, sort of what? tear him a new one kind of thing. But that is that is exactly the way scripts like this worked in 1993. Yeah, she's like, oh, yeah. uh, it should be because, I know it doesn't work, but the only way that she would put up with that is if they were on rival agencies and they're like vying for it, not the, not the big win, a small win in this scene is between the FBI and the CIA and she's on the rival team, so she mm. puts up with it to get the small win. Otherwise, it's very, you know, she would tell him to fuck off, mm. I think. She should she should clench, pop out that gun and shoot him. Yeah, and say, that's where it was, <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> or 
unclench, I guess. I don't know. Uh, force. Push? Push. <laughs> <laughs> Told you, Chris. It'll settle down next week. It's just because we had a week off and we've become stupid children. Squeeze. <laughs> and he's back. <laughs> okay. 32 minutes in. Now, now we see Malkovich's whole face as he sets up a business account. This is why I thought this movie was smart. I'm like... This is smart stuff going on. He's playing the long game. Mm. And uh, we meet poor Pam. Oh, who I know. shouldn't have been from Minneapolis, you idiot, Pam. Be from somewhere else. She's not in this film very long, but it's so memorable, her performance in this film. Mm. And it's really stayed with me. I've probably watched this film three or four times when it came out and then not seen it since, but it really stayed with me. I knew, I remembered every Pam moment in this film. It's yeah. really, really good. She's really good. She played, I was. I looked her up, I was like, what else mm. have, we, have we covered her or anything? Yeah. She played Art's wife in The Burbs. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. But oh, she's okay. barely in that though. Art's she's wife. at the end. Yeah, yeah, she's there at the very end, yeah. But um, it's not just her as well, isn't it? It's the way his smile drops when he's talking to her mm-hmm. is fucking face acting. Excuse my language. No, but that is all, Chris. Not that is that is fucking I'm getting emotional thinking about it yeah Uh, it's because she says where did you go to high school and he's put on the spot because he didn't know high school in Minneapolis and so he goes Brighton High School or something and she's like there isn't one which it's a bit of a stretch that you know every high school in a major US city Uh, but fair (laughs) enough Uh, let's go with that but also his answer is I was homeschooled is the right answer that's (laughs) what you say I'm a better assassin John Malkovich in this movie. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so Frank is still on the charm offensive with Lily. They're sitting by the Lincoln Monument and he explains to her that female secret service officers only exist for the feminist vote. They're window dressing. They are window, yeah. Yeah. It's this, it's not, I don't, well, that's not the bit that pissed me off the most. It's the bit, it's so, but it's, it's only problematic because I think this is what people thought and maybe still think that like when she's walking away and he's like, if she looks back, oh my she's God. interested. Oh my God. So there's a line before that where he goes, uh, I'm a, a white piano playing heterosexual male mm. over 50, <laughs> 60, uh, <laughs> <laughs> three years off 70, <laughs> but fine. Fine, fine. <laughs> I'm over 50. There aren't many of us. Uh, but she is. She's had enough. Uh, yeah. So that scene is so weird. So she walks off and being the, the full-on creepy, mumbly 67-year-old man, <laughs> he stays sitting on the steps yeah. mumbling away to himself like, yeah, she looks back, she's interested. Yeah. Come back, come look, give me that look. What he actually says is, Give me, give me that smug little look. Oh yeah, give me that smug look. I, I said, like. Do you so like her much. or not? Like, what's <laughs> yeah. wrong with yeah, you? Yeah. Just, like, I just don't. I don't if like you it. saw him, you'd you'd speed walk past him. Like, yeah, a man sitting she'd on some check stairs. it to make sure he's not chasing after. Her, or he can't, he can't run, can he? But to make sure she's safe. Like, I don't know. When you like someone, you say. I like you. And that's how you know for sure. And just this defense of like, well, she looked back, Your Honor. So <laughs> I guess she was interested. Whenever we're in the pub and uh, you go to the bathroom, I turn to Chris and go, if she looks back, <laughs> she looks back, give me that smug little look. Give me that smug look. And I check to make sure that you are not following me. <laughs> Wheezing. <laughs> I can't shut me. Sweating. Get me a pint. <laughs> So uh, the problem with this scene is it's so troubling that it makes Leary killing two women in cold blood less offensive. It's really chilling. It is chilling. And it is, but it's also quite, I know it's not funny, but 
poor Mitch. She's just gone there to kill one person. <laughs> then she's got a dog. He's like, I'm going to have to kill the dog. And then she's got a roommate. And then the phone rings. It's like, can you not get five minutes peace to kill these people? Uh, but they don't kill the dog. They don't so, kill no. the dog. I re- Weird. Trick's memory plays. I remembered him being evil because he killed the dog. Yeah. But uh, I noticed that this when I watched it on wherever it was on, was it Amazon it was on or Disney? It's on Netflix, actually. It was an 18. And I don't think it was an 18 when it came out. But that spinning of the heads, I think, is what's given it its certificate. It's crazy violent in a split second. Yeah. But it's a good it's a good way of showing us his brutality. And maybe us we start to realise that he's, you know, he could be government trained. Oh, he's not that bad because he didn't kill the dog. Uh, One of the two. Okay. (laughs) You know what I feel? If he killed the dog, uh, he's irredeemable to me. Didn't kill the dog. Still got a little bit of sympathy for Paul Leary. So uh, we enter the part of the film that I like to call phone calls and running, which uh, (laughs) repeatedly involves a couple of tech guys running in from one room going, he's at this place! (laughs) And then Frank and the team running and then them chasing Leary. So... The first one starts with Leary goading him about how the Warren Commission on JFK's murder mentions Frank was out drinking the night before. I did a little bit of digging. This is actually true. So um, there was an author called Susan Cheever who wrote a book called Drinking in America, Our Secret History. And she talks about how a lot of the agents had been at work all day and hadn't been fed. And so they went out. This is the day before. They went out looking for food, having been on duty all day. And they couldn't find any food. They just found a bar, thought there was food, and there was no food. So they had a drink. And then some of them went on. So some of them didn't roll in till 5 a.m., had to get up at 8 a.m. to then be the president's guard that day. So... Some of them were half cut yeah. the day they were guarding Kennedy through Dallas. And obviously the Warren Commission uh, talks a lot about the cellar coffee house in Dallas where they ended up and he describes it as a hippie joint. And so there's some truth in this whole idea of Frank being a little bit hungover. Mm. But that is not the answer. We'll come to the answer for why he didn't dive in after that first bullet shortly. Let's take a quick break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hi, I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. And I'm Chloe Morgan. Join us every week on our brand new show, Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. We'll get stuck into the biggest stories of women's football every Tuesday from the latest in the WSL. Gareth Taylor said, oh, well, actually, we were playing 3-4-3 and we moved to 4-4-3-3. If you look at any of the footage, if you look at the way the players played in that first half, there were four players playing at the back. That sort of comment speaks of a manager who doesn't quite know what they're doing. To how the Lionesses are shaping up ahead of a home Euros next summer. For me, I would pick Lee Williamson. I would just go for it now. For a younger age captain, you've got some big tournaments coming up. I think a lot of players think she's got a really great mentality, gets on with a lot of people. For me, she's a born leader, and I think she will be England captain at some point. And what it's really like being a player in women's football today. From my own experiences of, of being in a situation like that, I mean, you know, when we got promoted uh, when I was with Spurs, that was phenomenal. I was, you know, first choice keeper. You know, then you go into the WSL for our first season and all I wanted to do was get WSL experience. Join us every Tuesday for Upfront. Search Football Ramble Presents in your podcast app. Subscribe now. Football Ramble Presents is a stack production. Okay, so they get to the payphone where Malkovich was, and he's gone. But wait, <laughs> the disguise hasn't worked. <laughs> what, the wig? <laughs> no, joking. it's not the wig. It's the fact that why go, I think this disguise needs a cold sore. <laughs> he's got a cold sore prosthetic on his lip. He does, yeah. And Frank obviously goes... That is definitely him because it's John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah but I think it's to be for fair, the public, isn't it? Like, he, he doesn't want it to work. He stands there looking at him and smiling at him. He could be gone, mm. but he turns back and he's pretending to be... He's he's messing with him. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's swaying there on the corner mm. like a drink. So we get our first chase. Check this out for a John Malkovich quote. Uh, when he was asked by the LA Times about what it was like playing his character in this movie, he responded by saying the worst thing about it was all the running I had to do. I hate running and don't intend to do it again for a long time. I didn't train for the running scenes either. I just put down my cigarettes for a minute and ran. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking legend. <laughs> Love Malkovich. <laughs> so they uh, get a print from this chase, but those bastards at the CIA don't tell them who Leary is because it's a big secret that he's a wet boy. <laughs> <laughs> what's a, just said what's wet a, man, what's a wet boy, Alex? <laughs> and just just say he does wet work. That is a term everyone's familiar with yeah. in movies like this. He did our wet work for us. Mm-hmm. Great. Wet boy, mm. please. <laughs> Frank doesn't know he's a wet boy. Uh, the reveal that he is a wet boy <laughs> comes later. Mm. Yeah. So he's a hitman, basically, who worked for the CIA which apparently is a wet boy. So we're off on the campaign trail now. Uh, two Air Force Ones on the runway. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. 
what did you think when you saw two Air Force Ones? I just got excited to be inside Air Force One again because of how much I love Air Force One. I'll tell you who else was probably excited. Wolfgang Peterson. Yeah, yeah. Not one, but two. Yeah, I training. love that plane. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I thought for a minute, I was like, oh shit, they have a decoy Air Force That's One. That's what I really thought, yeah. Is it's not, not true. No, there's no, they never launched two Air Force Ones at the same time to pretend one doesn't have the president in. They should. It's a good idea, V, yeah. but they don't. It's okay. just because there are two Air Force Ones in case one breaks down. But I it's a very confusing sense. moment where you see both of them on the runway. And yeah. it's confusing they're both called that. Just call the other one F- Air Force Two. No, because whichever plane the president is on is automatically given the sign Air Force One. Oh. Sorry, that's the fact. So Lily is falling for Frank's charms uh, because now he's not being a sleaze. He's moved into the realm of anecdotes to win her over, <laughs> including one uh, which uh, he loves, uh, where JFK's secretary of state shouted at him, <laughs> when I'm speaking to you, I am the president. To which Frank replied, well, you look like a sack of shit in a cheap suit to me, sir. That's the story. <laughs> she loves that, though, doesn't she? <laughs> that's, the big, that's the big crowd pleaser. Yeah. That's the party favourite. And he looks at her like, huh? And she goes, she actually says, I, I like the way you added sir at the end. And it's like, he's really bombing here. Yeah. And yeah, she goes, yeah, I'm into this. So he follows her into the lift and they're in the bedroom. What movie is it where I've seen this hot play? Shots. Is it? I swear to God, it's Hot Shots. Right. I might be wrong, but my notes like this is Hot Shots. Just the claws and the and the whatever. It's all the equipment, so the guns, the bats on their radio, yeah. and everything. I can't remember. Oh, it's it, probably Airplane or one of those. It's not Airplane. I don't think it might be Hot Shots. It could be Naked, Naked Gun. One, yeah. It's a Zucker. It's, a, it's definitely a Zucker Brothers movie. I'm yep. gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say it's a Zucker Brothers movie. It's, it's, I was laughing my head off. It's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is probably his best line in the movie where he's like, and she's like. I, I can't. I've got. I get. She gets a phone call, yep. and he's like, "Now nah, I've got to put all that shit back oh, yeah, on." Because I'm an old, old man. <laughs> Do you know what I love the most, though? Did you spot it? What? Renny Russo keeps her socks on for sex. She did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my kind of woman. Yeah. God, you're a match made in heaven. No, I was just like, that Finally. is amazing. No feet anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for some of the scenes from these campaign rallies, I mean, obviously you can tell now, but it still looks pretty cool. They actually used uh, genuine uh, George Bush rallies and mm. uh, then Governor Bill Clinton, both on the campaign trail. So they used some footage from those rallies and uh, superimposed Clint in and obviously the president. Well, it was the big selling point for this film, as as well as the concept, was the fact that they were splicing Clint Eastwood in with mm. old footage and That's new right. footage. Mm. And they spent a fortune on it. And it looks quite dated now, but I remember that was such a big deal at the time. Well, because this is a year before Forrest Gump. Before Forrest Gump, Forrest exactly. Gump. Yeah. The following year. Exactly. But yeah, it looks great when he's in there with Kennedy, the black yes. and white stuff. It does, yeah. The, stuff, the modern stuff looks a bit sketchy, but great. the old stuff looks really good. Yeah. Really good. Um, anyway... Clint gets ill, Frank gets ill, and uh, this is where their relationship, because I've, I've made a joke, but at this point, it becomes quite sweet. Yes, it does. Uh, where she, he's ill, and he's got the sniffles, and she goes, oh, Frank, come here, blow your nose. Yeah. And then I'm just like, that's really nice. There's another bit coming up later that's really nice, but it's sort of, considering, take Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard, who has to be the manliest thing on screen at any point. Having Clint Eastwood have a cold and have help blowing his nose yeah. from his love interest is really kind of like, oh, it's a nice moment. Yeah, it makes them seem real. Mm. Uh, so, 
There's a freakout from Clint, uh, uh, Frank, at uh, a rally where Leary pops some balloons. He gets taken off the president's detail. I, I feel sorry for the White House chief of staff here because he's kind of an idiot in this film and we're not supposed to like him. But he gets a lot of grief for hiding from a gunman, <laughs> a potential gunman, which I think we'd all do. It, he's been told there's a gunman and he runs and hides. Yeah. Yeah, because Frank's all like, yeah, coward. And yeah. Like, Sorry, I'm not on the Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs> that is... Actually, your job. You're the one that just got frightened of a balloon, dickhead. <laughs> um, here's another great Malkovich moment when he's testing out his wooden gun. Um, mm. And just the way he fires it at the remote control boat, it's just the way he's sort of sitting so casually, so relaxed. It works because it's just very cool. And it also works because he's that shit hot that he just sort of lifts the gun, bang. And then just relaxes and looks at it. And it's sort of, I mean, yeah, there's the sort of dead eyed, like he's a crazy person thing. Did you notice? Cause, so I think they did it to make us laugh because this is after that bit where he shoots the bolt. Frank and Al, Dylan McDermott, have gone to Mitch's house and you, that other person there's like, he's a wet boy. And Dylan McDermott, who's very unsuited to this job, is like, what's that? And he's like, he's more like a predator. And the cut goes straight away, cut to John Malkovich sitting by a model boat, which mm. is not something you expect a predator of men to do. But it's mm. very, very funny. Yeah. I liked it. And then the hunters turn up and they use his gun on a duck and he kills them yeah. with the line, why'd you kill that bird, asshole? I'm like, good guy, yeah. saves dog. Saves bird. Well, doesn't save bird, but Avengers duck. <laughs> I mean, you say saves. You say. I said he avenges duck. Yeah, you say saves dog. Chooses not to murder dog. It's different from saving right. dog. Yeah. Spares dog. Avengers duck. Good guy. Okay. <laughs> uh, you thought wet boy was going to be the strangest pairing of words on the show. So. Uh, they, I've done this. They visit that machine and gives them all the different ways Leary could transform well, himself. They say he says, "Give me every possible variable." I don't think he knows what that means. That would be a very, very, very big pile of photo fits yeah. if it's every possible variable of the human face. Yeah, uh, but it's not the human face. The face. It's just hair and glasses. <laughs> hair and glasses. Different hair. Different glasses. Yeah. Different hair. Different glasses. Yeah. Different hair. Cold sore. Different hair. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. Uh, uh, but yeah, here's Dead Meat Dylan again, who meets up with Frank. Um, Heartbreaking. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's bad. It's bad because he tries to leave. Mm. Yeah. He's in touch with his feet. Doesn't he's he cry? He's crying his eyes out. Right. He's called a wimp. And he's like, I want, don't want to go home or whatever. And Clint is like, Ugh, are you crying? <laughs> like, and shames the you, shit you, out of him. You, are you a wet boy? Yeah. Are you a wet boy, are you? You're wet pants. But, yeah. Wait, what's a wet boy again? <laughs> <laughs> so he says, this, stop this cockamamie shit. And Dylan was like, I just want to stop doing it. And so it shames him into not retiring. Yeah. So that, what it's happens mad he recovers as our, it's, it's mad he yeah. recovers as our hero it's of this film. Him. after him. After literally, not basically, literally getting him killed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he does. He gets him killed um, because we get a tech guy running into a room and going, well, he's here! <laughs> Finally! <laughs> and then he's always here. We get another chase, this time on a rooftop. Frank gets a gun good in chase. his mouth. It's a good chase. It's a great chase. Yeah. But there is this point here where he puts, um, Leary puts the barrel of the gun over his mouth and goes, look, you can kill me now. Yeah. Save the president. Yep. And do what you have said you want to do the whole time. And by not being paid to do, to be fair. And not being paid to do. And pull that trigger. Yeah. And, and we're done. And, and Frank, you'll die. Frank doesn't do it. Yeah. No. Uh, he, he saves himself and gets fucking Dylan killed. Yeah. In the process. Oh, Al. 
Al celebrates, doesn't he? Frank, I got him. Oh, and the effects are great. That's where the green screen is amazing, where it looks like he's Eastwood's genuinely hanging over that ledge. Mm. Yeah, because that that effect from from Die Hard five years earlier doesn't look good anymore. But this still looks fantastic. Yeah. Mm. So Frank is back on the phone with Leary. Leary is going. Do you really have what it takes to take a bullet? And Frank says. I'll be thinking about that when I'm pissing on your grave. Sentiment aside, where is Leary going to be buried? Because you are still standing in a cemetery pissing on a grave. (laughs) And I think that is a bad look. Um, It's time for the California Climax, more magazine's position of the month, June 1993. (laughs) So Malkovich has to hide in plain sight, which he does by disguising himself as John Malkovich. (laughs) I don't know. I think this... No. (laughs) No. Disguise no, is okay. It's not. I think the issue is we're supposed to be wowed by it, yeah. but it's is it the same as the one he wore to the bank? If not, it's very similar. Mm. And so th- you've lost that moment. And he spends a long time putting it on and mm. you see this giant prosthetic nose and you think, wow, it's going to be so different. <laughs> yeah. And it's just John Malkovich in a suit. It's the bit where he takes the nose off in the lift and you're like, that's the same. Were <laughs> you wearing a prosthetic I honestly nose? thought he'd just forgotten to put it on <laughs> by that point. Just decided against it. No, no, no. It's just the same as mine. Just prosthetic. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what a disguise is, wet boy? <laughs> now, <laughs> they're uh, aware of his game, the Secret Service. So they get rid of all the mailboxes and put Secret Service stickers on the manholes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look this up because I was like, do, do, if people want to go down the manhole, they go, no, oh, there's a sticker on it. <laughs> <laughs> we can't use it as a Secret Service sticker. <laughs> they put them on after they've welded them shut. So in real life, when a president is driving down a specific route, they weld the manhole shut and Who then did? put stickers on. Okay. And I like the detail of them laying on extra presidential blood. Oh, yeah. I think it's a nice touch. It's mm. like, this is all stuff that I'm sure is from the real world. It's like, oh, man, there's a lot happens you don't know about when That's the president so comes true. to town. Yeah. I love him putting his keyring bullets together. The bullets going in the keyring is yeah. very cool. Yeah. Um, I sort of watched that and went, I wonder why that doesn't work. I wonder if it does work when you go into mm. an event like that. I'm not planning anything. <laughs> Stop speculating. Uh, so, um, and again, I think this is why I felt it was really clever as a kid. Just the fact that he's donated to the party, so mm. he gets this seat at the table. This made me feel like a smart 14-year-old. Uh, it's because they don't reveal their hand at the start of the film. Mm. We don't know what he's doing, all these strange things. And we don't know what they are until it all comes together at the climax, which is good writing. It is uh, Frank manhandles a bellboy and gets told to leave. Again. Kicks the shit out of him. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not good. He's a dangerous, he's a liability. He is, he's an embarrassment. He's a, he's a dangerous old man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me a smug look. Give me a, come here, bellboy. It's, 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 it's fine to be a maverick, but not a maverick with dementia. <laughs> But uh, we do get another very sweet moment where Lily and Frank hold hands Mm. by the window, which is really nice. Yeah. However, this is my biggest problem with this movie. I see. I'm so interested that you, because this is one of the things. You've really built this up. Yeah, Yeah. you've really built this up, Alex. I like this so much. We have been asked the question throughout why? Why did Frank not jump in front of JFK after the first? bullet hit what was the situation that stopped him doing that Leary's been taunting taunting Frank about it there have been suggestions that he was scared that he was hung over and now he's about to tell Lily the real answer the real answer when he addresses this matter is I don't know why I looked over and I just guess I couldn't believe it 
Yeah. Fuck mm. off. <laughs> Shock. He was shocked. I really like it. No. I think it's really brave. Shock. I think it's his, good writing. His lip wobbles when he's admitting it. I think because it would be so obvious to go, I'm this big hard man and I was scared. Okay, fine, whatever. Or yes, I do have a huge drinking problem and I couldn't, my hands were shaking. Blah, de blah, de blah. But this doesn't contradict his character. And that's quite important for, I presume, an actor like Clint Eastwood. Like He just couldn't believe it because of course you couldn't believe it because the whole world couldn't believe it and all of that. So I liked it. I thought it was brave and I think it pays off. Um, yeah, I, do. I, I just don't think a definitive answer to a question that has been asked for most of two hours of a movie should begin with, I don't know. That's a good point. I don't think you should ever have your character say that. I think as well, they do try and shift a bit of blame onto JFK. I don't know very much about JFK, mm. but... But and he got said, shot in Dallas. Oh yeah, right. Okay, it was Boss of America and he got, he got shot in Dallas. The thing is... In this film, the president, which is good, the president, the actual president is no one. So obviously they're doing the splice footage, but a lot of the time you can't even see the president's head. So that's good because as we covered in Air Force One, it's not the man, it's the job. So the man himself is not actually that important, apart from JFK. Knowing nothing about JFK, when Clint Eastwood, he does say this, he's like, I'm different, he was different, everything's different, the whole world was different back then. And I believe him. I don't know what the world would have been like if JFK had lived because I wasn't alive when he was here. But this cult around him, I totally get that, that I just felt for a moment maybe the whole world could have been different if Clint Eastwood had done his job. So when it's like I just couldn't believe it, it seemed very realistic. And I liked it for that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Agree to disagree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you're right about the I don't know things. I think that was the bit that got me. Was yeah. that I was like, and here we, go, here we go, here we yeah. go, here we go, here we go. I don't know. I don't know. Because then that actually diminishes whatever follows it up because it feels like he's just reaching for something as opposed to going, this is the answer. It feels like, I, I don't just, know, I just, maybe this, maybe that. It's not like... He's got dementia, I just established that. And they always, they, don't they talk about JFK having a death wish, which is pivoting a little bit of responsibility away from your hero. Let's pretend these people aren't real because that's a bit distasteful, but pivoting responsibility away from your hero character onto the person themselves that he had some sort of death wish. Hmm. Well, anyway, Frank's out of the picture now. He's off to the airport. And this is the, it's a little bit of a cheat here. Just by luck, the guy driving Frank to the airport remembers phone numbers in a stupid way, which <laughs> helps Frank follow a paper trail. Yeah, a phone number that our supposed genius villain has left under a bed. Mm. Yep. So that's weak. It is the fact that that apartment is spotless, yes. apart from that one bit of paper. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the big hole in the plot for me, is that is that he's established in a way that he wouldn't leave that bit of paper there. Unless he wanted him to find it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it leads Frank back to the conference and Leary is building his gun under the table because he practised earlier with his eyes closed. Mm, we get an awesome crash zoom when that happens. Mm, Good filmmaking. It's great because he drops the bullet mm. and for a moment, film language dictates, like he stops being the villain at that point because you're like, oh shit, that's our hero. He needs to get the bullet. You're sort of almost willing him to be able to pick up the bullet because sure, yeah. it's a little mini challenge yeah. for this character and you forget that actually you don't want him to get the bullet because then he's going to kill the president. So I thought that was quite nice. And Frank gets to redeem himself by taking a bullet for the president, um, which happens and it's good and then it's impressive how fast the Secret Service ragdoll. Yeah. I was thinking of you because I know love you it, love though. it. I, I love watched it. it like three or four times. I think this is the best one I've ever seen. Think, yeah. The presidential sweep where his feet aren't even on the floor mm. and someone flings a chef and says, move! Yeah. <laughs> That's so the only good. bit I hate because I, I felt so sorry for that yeah. chef. It doesn't matter. Because I know it doesn't matter, but imagine that chef waking up that morning, turning to his partner and going, 
I'm cooking for the president tonight. <laughs> and, you know, he's all done up nice and he's got his soup on his tray. Have you ever met a chef? And he's carrying it there. They are not that person. They I are brutal, to, <laughs> brutal I, people. I wonder how it works now because I used to work in a little cafe bar in Leeds called Indie Joe's, which is a restaurant upstairs. And the, sh- the way the chef spoke to the waitresses yeah. was like, you just couldn't do it now. It was just, it was abuse. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Fuck you. You fucking fucked up this oh. fucking order. I've been that waitress. They're nasty people. <laughs> yeah. Really scary. Yes. They were like, I was scared of them. I was downstairs. And whenever they came downstairs for a fag, because they all smoked. They all smoke constantly. They all drink constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not all chefs. I'm sure there's some. No, I'm sure it's different now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, but it is great the way they get him out. And then there's. The only bit of the movie that I remember from watching as a kid. I didn't remember any of it up until now. I remember the elevator fight and I remember it being a lot more impressive than this. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, I think I've said this before. The influence of Asian cinema means the action movies we watched in the 90s look really bad now. You mm. get the cool moment with the aim high, but yeah. like, that is still pretty fucking risky. It's just sort of everyone sort of standing there looking up at a dark elevator waiting for something <laughs> to happen, like yeah. unable to see anything. Yeah. It's very strange. And then... Frank, uh, like you said, says aim high and Leary takes his own life because Some Leary, but he's in control. He's but in control before that, him. we've also got the moment where it's take my hand. If you don't, you'll die. Mm. So it's a really nice callback to what happened yeah, on the yeah. rooftop. Like the setup and payoff works all the way through this film. So you think it would have been good, though, if he to progress that, take my hand, he does. And then Frank's like, yes. fuck off. Would have loved, <laughs> would have loved it. Yeah, yeah that would have loved been it. great. Yeah. Yeah. Is that not your change? No, I've got uh, something it's, else. It's mine. Oh. Now. Now. <laughs> it's also mine. Well done. Uh, and then we're back with Lillian Frank sitting by the Lincoln Memorial. And Frank is like, I know things about pigeons. It made me laugh. It's a nice last line. <laughs> I sort of make fun of it, but it's sort of, it's a sweet last line because he's making that, you know, it's that thing that couples do when they're totally comfortable. It's not like, you know, what should we do now? Where should we go? We have to do something together. <laughs> we always have to be doing something. Otherwise, we're not happy. Should we go to a restaurant? Do you want to see a movie? Something in silence? Anyway, <laughs> he's just like going, I bet you the brown pigeon flies off before the white pigeon. Yeah, and but it's... he's also taking the piss out of himself, which is very yes. endearing. Uh, that's it from me. Any more for any more? No. All right, let's do the bits. Chris, best scene. I've always loved this line. I used to say it a lot when I was at school. It's when Clint Eastwood tells another man that he has a rendezvous with his ass. Because <laughs> I don't know if he... That's not as cool as he thinks it sounds. It means something else. It means something else. Yeah. It, I mean, it really does. It did then. Yeah. So <laughs> It's always meant the same thing. It's just a really strange thing for Clint Eastwood to say, and I fucking love it, and I piss myself every time he says it. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, Victoria. I really like the opener on the boat because it sets up so much of his character. And I think if you contrast it to the end, the end, like you said, does feel anticlimactic because the in the lift, like it's just like everyone's staring in the dark. But I think, you know, the taking the bullet, because it's uh, buttoned with that, the presidential sweep is just one of the best. Mm. So that's him. It's good. Uh, mine is, and we've all got different ones, mine is the moment where Leary loses it for the first time on the phone and he goes, you're alive because I've allowed you to live, so you show me some goddamn respect! <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. It's the way Malkovich delivers that. Oh, it gave me goosebumps. So good. Great. Right, uh, MVW. Um... Oh, we're all going to have the same <laughs> one here, aren't we? I don't know. Okay, Vicky, go. No, Chris, go. Yeah, I just went first. All right, Vicky, go. John Malkovich. 
because I, I do think that character is either because of John Malkovich doing it and it's kind of set a template for your sort of mid to late 90s baddie, mm. but it is quite a one note thing and it feels really familiar. So I know you just said you like, it's like, show me something back. But it's like, he's got, you know, people like that, they've always got that one little vulnerability where if something, if you're lied to or if you disrespect him, if you do whatever, he loses his cool completely, which probably an assassin wouldn't do and goes bananas and sort of his cover shatters for a moment and you see the real him or whatever. Um, and even though he, in terms of being one note, he's kind of the same all the way throughout, apart from this one thing that makes him blow up. He doesn't really mm. change, but he is just captivating doing that and actually do not want him to die. Mm. So yeah, him. Who's yours, Alex? Well, it's your girl, Chris. No, it's just... Malkovich. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Malkovich as well. Um, it's just, it's his chameleon-like ability yeah. to <laughs> just disappear into his disguises. He speaks a thousand languages. <laughs> no, he's just freaking John Malkovich was all over this in the best way possible. So yeah, three for three, John Malkovich. All right then, uh, changes. Who'd like to go first? Chris? All right. I mean, I was a bit flippant with my favourite scene earlier. I do love that line. But also one of my most memorable moments of this movie, and I just I remember it differently, so I want it to be how I remember it, is the scene where uh, they get to Frank's apartment at the end of the film and there's a voice message from Malkovich. And they treat him with the disdain he deserves, this voice beyond the grave. They ignore him and they walk out. But he gets to finish his message before they're out of earshot and before the scene ends. And I really think he should still be talking when that scene ends. Good change. And when they're out of earshot, because I just think it's better that he's just blathering away to no one. And he's yeah. made the assumption that they'll listen to the whole message. Yeah. So he's become even more irrelevant than he could have I possibly they imagined. I thought going to delete it almost immediately. And that would have the same sort of effect. I just like him. I, like, I do like him still talking, but to fucking nobody, yeah. which would have been his worst nightmare. Yeah. And so, um, but I, I, I actually think that's probably the best moment in the film. I just, I think it, it says what it needs to about those people. Mm. V? So I think this is probably all there already, but just bring this to the fore a little bit. So winding Frank up is all part of the plan. It always was. So the murder wall, all of that to get him to the apartment because every time the Secret Service are distracted by Frank being a confused, ill old man, Mitch gets another opportunity to advance his plan. So because Frank's involved in the plan, but it feels like he that Mitch would have been able to do what he was going to do irrespective of Frank's mm. involvement. And Frank's involvement is like a nice little bump and it gives him a bit of pleasure, but it isn't integral to the mechanics of the plan. Yeah. So it's super elaborate. Part of the plan is you reel this old guy in who's got his big chip on his shoulder and a vulnerability, mm. which you then exploit the hell out of, which gives you an in when you need it because everyone's distracted sorting Frank out. So like, when he fucks up with the balloons, that's all part of Mitch's plan because he can do something while Frank's shouting about balloons or whatever, mm. rather than just watching him do it. Yeah, he should have driven him to get drunk maybe one night before one of these things happens. Yeah, exactly. And so just, yeah, no, I 100% agree. So you would have liked to have seen it, because obviously Frank's involvement in this is completely by chance. Yeah. And you'd have liked that to have been intentional. So yes. he was set up to discover A bit like collage. seven, sort of. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. I get that. Mm. Uh, so, uh, well, I kind of did mine, and I know you disagree with me, but I just think the answer to that question, why didn't you take the second bullet for Kennedy, should be anything other than, I don't know. Do you I mean, any, what would it be, though? Any, like, like, I don't know. I don't care. I really, at this point, I don't care. It's like, oh, I saw, I saw a shiny balloon and I love balloons. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was a penguin in a hat. I didn't like him. I was, yeah, I fucking hated JFK. <laughs> I, was, I voted against him, so there you go. I saw my show. Tell no one, but that's the truth. So that's it. Right then, time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! Is it me 
It was Victoria's choices. Oh, yeah, it yeah, was, it was your it? choice. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Is it me? <laughs> Why don't you go, Chris? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm going to use a plot point to explain my pick. We've kind of touched on it, but I'm going to put them side by side. Uh, Frank Farmer feels guilt over missing work the day Reagan got shot, but he was bearing his mum, so it's an honourable guilt, which gives us a kind of dramatic inertia. Frank Horrigan had been drinking the night before JFK's assassination and starts to doubt if he would have taken a bullet for him. It gives the film something to build towards, even if Alex didn't like it. That's actual drama. And I think you can make those comparisons across the board with both these films. In the Line of Fire is a much better script and therefore a much better film. Okie dokie, In the Line of Fire. Um, see, I don't know, so I'm not sure. Don't you never start with I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You, did you not get the script for this? We cut that line. Alex is enraged. <laughs> I, I worked all night on the script for this episode and you have put back in I don't know. I don't Do you know how many red lines I put through every time you say I don't know? Every someone says, what's the plan? <laughs> I hate that. All right, why don't I go next? All right, then. So I did go, I went on a journey because I knew it would be close and then I was 10 minutes into the bodyguard and like I said, I was going to text you for that. Isn't this isn't good but the fairy tale element of it is just so entrancing it's, it's obviously the romance of like someone who a perfect stranger who would die for you but she's got this great life as well so that you you know she's a pop princess she's on top of the world she's gonna win an oscar and the romance in in the line of fire obviously i'm not convinced by it, even though with the pigeon stuff at the end i was kind of into it i wish in the bodyguard there was something the, the trauma brought them together a bit more because trauma does bring people together in, in weird and unexpected ways. And I do know that Line of Fire is definitely better directed and it's better acted, not necessarily better written. But for a film that I would watch again and just feel so much love for and just like more, it's The Bodyguard. So there you go. <sighs> oh, right. One for Line of Fire from Chris, one for The Bodyguard from Victoria. <laughs> so I... I'm laughing at the idea of you picking The Bodyguard now. <laughs> It's just... I'm really, really happy I ticked that box of seeing the bodyguard finally. Mm. Um, I do wish it had leaned more into the villain and what a sicko he was. Weirdly, it's the masturbating on the bed line that stuck with me out of everything. Um, I do think Line of Fire walks a much better romance thriller line in terms of the balance that I want from a film like this. I think Bodyguard has way too many characters as well, given way too much stuff to do at the start. Whereas in the Line of Fire, it's a real Russo-Eastwood Malkovich, like triumvirate with a soupçon of additional characters. Uh, basically, if it wasn't clear, I'm picking the bodyguard. That's a lie. It's in the line of fire. <laughs> yeah, in the line of fire is just a great movie still. Yeah. Um, I mean, not as good as it was when I was 14 and I thought it was smart, but it's still a lot of fun. Bodyguard, if I'd watched it at the time, it would be different, I'm sure. But uh, for me, in the line of fire. <laughs> In the line of fire. In the line of fire is our winner this week. Right. Let's talk about next week. Or do you want to do... Uh, no, we did the live show at the start. We'll, we'll, I'll just do the clue for the next week because uh, I'm really happy with this clue and then I'll tell you the movies and you'll realise why, why I'm so happy with this clue. Uh, so once again, the clue was, guys, repeat after me, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Dem girl, dem girl, do you love me? <laughs> Mish, mish. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> no, I don't, and it's still funny. Uh, right then. What a tune. They all love me. I didn't... They all love me. Damn good, damn good. They all love me. I fucking love that song. 
<laughs> right, that's what we're doing at the end of the live show. Excellent. Um, so I don't know who wanted what. Which one? I don't give a toss about these. Do you two. give a toss? Mm, yeah, do I do. Actually. Do you want to point at which one quickly? I want that one. You want that one? All <laughs> oh, right then. And I have neither. Of them. <laughs> so from 1995. Oh no, I'll do it the other way around. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> from 1995, Victoria, you get copycat which is available on amazon and elsewhere which means from 1999 chris you get the bone collector them bones <laughs> <laughs> that's why the clue was so good yep it's on amazon and elsewhere they're both available all over the place so that is copycat versus the bone collector on next week's shows i hope you like the pairing <laughs> I certainly do. Chris is less enthused. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you are coming to our live show, we will see you tonight at the Loading Bar in Stoke Newington. Looking forward to seeing you there. It is Cocktail versus Coyote Ugly. Make sure you've done your homework. Otherwise, we are back Monday talking copycat. Have a great weekend. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.